Many of you who know me well know that I have been long a fan of Bono and his world-famous rock group, U2. Well, in these recent days, Bono, a few years younger than I am, released an autobiography that has very much engaged my heart and mine across the last few days. It's entitled Surrender, and it is a deep look, insight into his very big life. Here are some things that are true about Bono, whose real name is Paul Hewson. He grew up in Dublin, Ireland with his fellow bandmates. These four guys got together to play music in their late teens when they were still in high school. And in the late 70s, they formed this band. They've been together ever since. Bono and two of the others in the band have always been deeply devoted to Christian faith. Bono's Christian faith shapes so much about himself and about his music. He's been married to his wife for 40 years, Allie. Allie, who he met in youth group at the church. Bono and U2 have been, across the decades, among the most famous, most successful musical groups ever. And it's not just musical success and fame. Bono keeps saying over and over that his calling in life, deeply tied to his Christian faith, is to use his fame Use any capital he has gained to make the world a better place, especially helping the most needy. So Bono and his bandmates have been involved in addressing the AIDS crisis. They have played numerous concerts to raise money for world famine, especially in Africa. They have spoken out against the climate crisis. They have urged world powers to forgive the debts of the poorest countries, especially in Africa. They have helped orphans in Ukraine and much more. He recently played a concert in Kiev in the subway to raise awareness to the atrocities in Ukraine. And it's Bono's commitment to peace and to justice and a better world that has generated, for Bono, personal ties to so many of the world's leaders. He's been many times to the White House, and he actually hosted Russian President Mikhail Gorbachev in his own house in Dublin. He has visited the Presbyterian Center in Louisville, the headquarters of our church, to support the church's justice work, and he knows the Pope. He's even written special songs for the Pope. Bono connects with presidents and popes and prime ministers and world leaders because he cares so much about the world. Bono also initiated, initiated a meeting with Eugene Peterson, Presbyterian minister who became famous for translating the message. He initiated the meeting in Peterson's home in Montana. Peterson didn't even know who Bono was. Bono knew Peterson from reading the scriptures. He has sought to use his life and his fame to promote justice and peace and the reign of God across the globe. One of Bono's and U2's most famous songs goes like this. 
I can't believe the news today. I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long? How long must I sing this song? Which piece of the news today might make you sing along with Bono today? Maybe it's the news of a test from the doctor that you're waiting for the results. How long, how long must I sing this song? Maybe it's the growing number of gun violence victims across our city, across our country. Maybe it's the continuing destruction in Ukraine. Maybe it's the economic meltdown that seems forever on the horizon. We live in a wonderful and beautiful world, we do. But we also live bombarded with worries and uncertainties, perplexing problems that don't seem to go away. How long? How long must we sing this song? And some people who know Bono and his songs also hear very clearly the echo of the psalms, the psalms particularly of lament, like Psalm 3 or Psalm 5 or Psalm 13 or others. How long? How long, O oh God? How long must we, before we get free from these burdens? How long? How long before we're released from this captivity? How long? How long, O oh God, before we won't be so overwhelmed with suffering and loss and sadness? How long before we long for hope? How long before we can quit crying out to God? How long? How long? Now, let me connect this to Matthew's gospel for today. You remember a few years, uh, a few months, a few weeks ago, years, months, weeks, a few weeks ago, we were celebrating Christmas. We were reading the Christmas story just a few weeks ago. And the Christmas story from Luke's gospel starts out like this. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augusta that all the world should be enrolled, registered. All the world should be registered. We often minimize that line as simply the motivation for Mary and Joseph to make their way to Bethlehem and look for a place to stay. We just dismiss that little line but there's only one reason, and one reason alone, that the emperor would order the world to be registered. That would be taxes. Taxes to support the emperor. Taxes to support the rule of oppression around the region. Power to support the emperor's reign that would continue to oppress the people. Taxes to feed the power of the empire. The baby Jesus, a savior who's Christ the Lord, the angels say, was born into this reign of Emperor Augustus for one reason. To bring about the reign of God. The reign of peace. Not power, peace. Not oppression, freedom. Love, justice. Not tyranny. Today's passage comes very early in Matthew's gospel, right when Jesus is getting ready for his adult life and his adult ministry. He's been baptized, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and he's been challenged. And then we have this from Matthew 4. Listen. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth, and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. So it says, Jesus left Nazareth and he made his home in Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. A few years ago, when a good group of us from this congregation visited the Holy Land, we actually spent several hours at Capernaum. It's on the north edge of the Sea of Galilee. You can walk around the archaeological remains of the synagogue that's been there for many, many centuries. You can sense the path that Jesus walked as he walked around that community in the first century. You can even wander down to, to the sea and you can feel the water and you can pick up pebbles from the Sea of Galilee where Jesus encountered the fishermen. When Matthew sets this stage for the beginning of his ministry, he relates it to another story that we read at Christmas. It's from the prophet Isaiah who says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And that same passage says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it's all about God's reign that is emerging in the world. Not the reign of the emperor who wants to register people so he can tax them and rule over them. This is about God's reign. A different kind of kingdom, a reign of peace, without oppression, about the power of love, which Jesus comes to bring. It's interesting to notice the Greek word here, basilia. That's the word for kingdom in Greek. All through the Gospels, there's this emerging tension, emerging, growing conflict. There's the emperor's reign, power, oppression, taxes, servitude to the emperor, and then there's God's reign, which comes in Jesus. Freedom, peace, purposes in life that focus on God and God's love across the world. There's the basilia of tyranny and violence, spreading uh, threats and death, and there's the basilia, basilia of God, of that hope and about purpose, and about spreading love and justice for all. So Jesus comes on the scene, and he's inaugurating this basilia of God. Who will be part of it? Who's going to follow? That is an ongoing question. Who's going to follow? 
So Jesus walks by the sea and encounters fishermen. They have names. They're real people. Peter, Andrew, James, John. And Jesus simply says, follow me. In talking about this passage, Barbara Brown Taylor calls this the miracle on the beach. The miracle on the beach. There are lots of miracles that involve Jesus, you know, uh, sight to the blind and deaf to the hearing and release from the demons, but with two words, follow me. Jesus gets people recruited for the basilia of God. Two words. He doesn't give any content. He doesn't give any rationale. He simply announces the new basilia and then follow me. Miracle. It might be less of a miracle when we know a little bit more about fishermen, especially fishermen in that day and in that place, the poorest of the poor, caught up in their own basilia, a basilia that basically made them slaves in this business, some oppressive caste system that they're a part of. Folks in this kind of poverty and oppression might be quick to jump at any invitation to a new kind of life. So it says, they left their nets and they followed. Left their nets here is a big word, which means much more than walking away from fishing. It means that they left behind their burdens, their caste system, their oppressive structure. They left behind their debts. They left behind their sins. They left behind their sense of bondage. It's like a jubilee. It's like a fresh start. And that's what Jesus comes to bring to the fishermen and actually what Jesus wants to offer to all of us. Leave the basilia of oppression and burden and find a new life, God's life. Leave the basilia of tyranny the rat race, and find a new life of purpose, goodness, grace, kindness, toward peace, towards God, God's promised reign, the basilia of God. We're all called, you and I, to respond to the simple words, follow me. And we're called to follow Jesus even in these perplexing and complicated days with whatever we're dealing with, whatever stage in life we are, Jesus simply says, follow me. With whatever's dominating us, discouraging us, whatever might be on our hearts, Jesus says, follow me. Now I want to try to make this as specific and as helpful as I can. First, if you think you're all alone, lost in a sea of burdens, drowning and uncertain of God at all, these words of Jesus, follow me, are directed to all of our hearts right here. We're not on our own, and we're not alone. Jesus knows us, comes to us, wherever we are, with whatever we're dealing with, and invites us onto another journey. There are no easy answers. It will not be without struggle. But the presence and the promises of God will go with us all and shape us as we respond and keep striving to respond. Follow me. 
Second, there's a very big context in which these words come to us to follow. A big context. And we heard it already in the first lesson. Psalm 27 says it boldly. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, our life, of what shall be, be afraid? The whole Bible. The whole Bible is the story of God delivering God's people. Why would we doubt that God would not deliver us from our woes, from our burdens, from our enemies, from our worst circumstances? This is the context. Third, what nets do you need to drop in order to follow and go? It's so easy to hold on to the same certainties. If we quit fishing, how are we going to eat? If we don't stick with what we know, how will we ever get along? These are normal concerns. But remember, we make our way by walking. We make our path by walking. The Israelites ventured into the sea and the way opened. All through the wandering in the wilderness, they kept saying, why'd you bring us out here? To kill us? So that we would die of hunger and thirst? And God kept providing. God kept, keeps providing. The disciples dropped their nets. And what did it lead to? Wow. It led to their commitments that generated the global church. God's presence in the world, striving to bring about peace and wholeness everywhere. The amazing movement of the church in the world came from that lakeside. We can never do it perfectly. We're all called to just keep trying and following. And Indeed, we often struggle to make our way in following. But we strive to trust God and we keep following and we find our way to the Basilia of God. From the Basilia of the world to the Basilia of God. This is our journey. And finally, we're all a work in progress. All of us. We keep striving to be loving even when the world tells us to be selfish. We keep seeking to be kind even as we realize goodness, the world is just screaming at each other. We keep working on forgiving. Forgiveness is super hard, but this is our way, and we keep at it. This is our calling. We keep wanting to hold tight when Jesus tells us to let go, hold a grudge, hold on. No, let go. Be kind. Love and serve. We keep wanting to give life away instead of being greedy. These are the ways of God. The way from Basilia of the emperor to the Basilia of God. Jesus says, follow me, come along. And we know we keep trying, we keep striving, we keep seeking to do our best as disciples. We keep striving to be open to God's spirit and God's grace working in us, on us, through us. Jesus says, follow me. And we remember that we spend our lives, use our capital, use whatever we have, 
helping others, making the world a better place. This is the calling of all of us. Follow me, says Jesus. Trust God. Come along. Serve God. Keep the faith. Spread love. Hold to God's promises. Share God's peace. This is the way from the Basilia of the emperor to the Basilia of God. This is our way. There's a really good cartoon from the New Yorker magazine, and there's a man standing in the middle of an elevator in a big building lobby, just standing in the middle of the elevator. The doors are wide open. Another person is standing next to him in the elevator, right at the control panel, looking questioningly at the man, which way you want to go, which floor, waiting for him to indicate up, down, where you're going, but the man just stands there. And he says, neither up nor down. I'm good right here. (laughs) Why would you get on an elevator if you're good right where you are? But this is a stinging cartoon because it could be emblematic of our lives, especially with God. I'm good right here. I'm good right here. And we just keep doing the same old things. Not deeper faith, not deeper commitment, not anything else but spinning and searching in the night and wandering around aimlessly all day, wondering what our lives are about. Just good right here. And actually, good right here can be plenty challenging. Jesus says, follow me. From the Basilia of the Emperor to the Basilia of God. Jesus keeps pointing us in another way another kind of life love not hate kindness not meanness goodness and grace not greed community care cooperation collaboration not competition hope not hurt this is our way jesus keeps calling us to the basilia of god and we're to put down our nets and we're to follow Pay attention and stay on the journey. This is our way, the way of Jesus. May God bless us today, tomorrow, forever. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn toward you, that's to rise, to hear your call, to open our hearts to your spirit. Well, that's to find our way and to abide with you forever. Strengthen us, bless us. We seek to follow Christ our Lord. Amen.